Well, let's see, here we go. Here we go. Well, welcome. Glad you guys are here. Uh, hopefully, we'll see a. Maybe we'll see a few more. We'll see. But uh, for those few of you intrepid people that got up early, we're glad to make you made it. <laughs> and um, just want to mention, we all remember uh, Mike McCabe, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, remember him in prayer. He's um, at the emergency room. He's been feeling poorly the last uh, couple of weeks, I guess. Yeah. And anyhow, his wife made him go to the emergency last night. So he sent me a text and told me he was there and told him we would be praying for him. Uh, remember John Shea, he's uh, still recovering from his chemo and uh, radiation. But as far as I know at the moment, his, all the reports are good, so that's good. And um, I thought we'd, uh, you got your mouth full, dude. Get, we're, gonna let, we're gonna let you get your mouth on it, emptied here. And uh, uh, I thought we'd just ask James if he'd want to give us a word or two. James was, uh, just came back, well, I say just, what, a month ago? Came back from uh, uh, the Holy Land with uh, uh, a group of guys that went, and I, th- I had encouraged him to go and um, told him if he went, he wouldn't. I don't think he'd be disappointed. And he had a couple of really neat things. I, I was rather kind of jealous that you spent time in one of the, I'm assuming it was a Palestinian Christian's home. Well, maybe you want to share just a little bit about your trip. And we'll take a few minutes and we'll dig into the word here. No problem, sir. You're listening to uh, Eric and uh, Val talk about going to Israel and different things. And I, someplace I always wanted to go, so the opportunity came up here and came uh, to the road and I personally was not disappointed at all. Um, I, my timing could have been a little bit better because I had just gotten a, few, a couple of weeks before things started with the surgery for my feet and everything. But I gained a new respect for uh, Jesus and the apostles. <laughs> in your travels? <laughs> I'm telling you, man. <laughs> I mean, when you went down there, They have you uh, do a, a walk like? Uh, did you actually hike from one place to another? I didn't do that. Okay. <laughs> they, 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 they did hike from uh, Zipporah uh, to, to uh, Canaan. Yeah. That, we did. yeah, that was one we were about that. That was about three or about five miles. Yep. Right? Yep. That's what we saw. Um, myself and uh, one other gentleman. We decided just to let the young fellows do it. <laughs> okay. Uh, but, you know, everything it seemed to me was up here. 
got to Masada, you took one look and said, oh no, not doing that. Below, well, the, the ground, the bottom, is a mile below sea level. Right. Yes. So it's unbelievably hot, and it's very steep. Yeah. I, was, I mean, I, was, I had like half a gallon of water, and it's, it's probably only a mile of the thing, but it's, you're just so, it's so hot. It makes it so freaking hot. It's unbelievable. And some of the young guys, so, yeah, it, it's, it's all, yeah, it's all pretty steep, yeah. pretty steep a lot of switchbacks. Yeah. I think it's 1,000 feet. No, it's it, it's 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 a mile. Yeah. Is no, no, but elevation. It's all going about a thousand feet. In the valley. Pardon me. Yeah, it's way deep in the valley. So the lower yeah, down you go, the yeah, higher it gets. Yeah, the, 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 you can see, when you're up in the top of Masada, you can still see uh, the encampment. You can see the the ruins of uh, the square where the the, Ro- the Romans had their uh, legions or legion. Sure. Um, and you know they built a, they had to build a, a ramp to get up to Masada. So it was, yeah. It was, and then you could look out and see all the way to the Sea of Galilee. So it was, it's, it's quite high. And, uh, just to think of the uh, engineering feats that um, took place in trying to do these, do these things. At Herodia, they tell us that uh, took a third of one of the mountains down and moved it to the side to another mountain so that he would be above everything else and he could see anything for miles coming toward him from Jerusalem or from the Dead Sea or wherever they were coming from. His, it was just amazing. His, uh, uh, if I remember correctly, his uh, funeral procession uh, went from roughly Jerusalem to Herodian. I think Herodian is where he was buried. And it's a, I mean, it's a, it's miles that they, they trucked him, you know, his body. Who was that? Herod. Herod, Herod when he died. Big show. (coughs) Big show, big show, big show. show. um, So was it worth going? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Would you recommend it? If you, have, if you have the opportunity, you should listen. We have two um, excellent guides as well. One uh, of the young brothers that guided us really was here at Kensington for oh. a year or so. Oh, uh, Michael Kish. Yeah, Michael. Yep. Yeah. Yep. He's and still owns yep. property here in Detroit. So, so, that's so what was this about staying with a Palestinian? No, we didn't actually stay with one. We, we had two, two outings. Uh, 
within the first week we were there. Um, on the Friday night, we had a Sabbath dinner with the uh, Orthodox Jewish family. And uh, that was very interesting because uh, it, was on, it was Sabbath, and uh, these folks had uh, 18 foreign individuals in their home, and they fed us. And it was, of course, you know, we sit down at the table, and we all go reaching for our phones because we want to take a picture of the table. And they said, oh, no, it's Sabbath. There's no work to be done. <laughs> you go to the bathroom to wash your hands, do not turn off the lights because you can't turn it back on. That's right. You know, all That's right. And so, but it was a very interesting meal. We had good wine and, and, and good conversation with this gentleman who was home here. You know, it's a very knowledgeable uh, uh, Jewish uh, rabbi and uh, had studied in the United States, but he was a very open. Yeah, it is. It is. It's pretty, yeah, yeah. It's pretty amazing when you're there and uh, you see the fact that, that uh, if you're a Palestinian, you go through so many more hoops to, to move in and out of areas than you do if you're, uh, if you're Israeli. And uh, part of that's on your license plate, you know, and uh, just be prepared to be stopped if you're a Palestinian and to have everything searched and uh, it was to me. I mean, the wall. Well, of course, the the temperature is different and all that. But it just it reminded me so much of when I was, you know, forty years ago. I was in Ireland, in Northern Ireland, during the the bombings, and um, to to go in and out of even stores, you everyone got checked. To to go in and out of Belfast, you every vehicle was stopped. Everything was searched. It was just crazy. And it kind of reminded me of that when we were in, in Bethlehem um, and going in and out. Now, granted, granted, for us, and I imagine for you, you're on the bus and they just blow you through. They don't care. You know, they're, they're good. They, they we know. Need one spot. We need to get, to get a couple of spots. <clears throat> soldiers actually boarded the bus to uh, check everyone out. Just, and they really just walk through and just have a day of I ain't got no the other thing that was uh, amazing me, you go through certain areas, and they've got signs as big as the door over here that basically tell you that um, you're going into a Palestinian area and if you're Jewish, you take your life in your hands to make that and vice versa. And, uh, and 
then we go to Haifa, mm -hmm. where Jews and, uh, uh, and the Palestinians live together. It's just like uh, any other town in the U.S. or any place else. It's a private city, but 10 miles outside of town, there's, you know, they had each other's throats. It, it was just very different. Uh, we went up to uh, Mount Carmel from Haifa, and that was a, a very interesting trip. But, you know, like I said, I, got, I had a much greater appreciation for the work that uh, Jesus did with his disciples because you knew something from Nazareth and Galilee and all of that. It, it, it's, not, it's not even like walking from here to Rochester. It's a good thing because it, from, from Jerusalem to Nazareth was a two and a half hour bus ride. And our bus ride was not a little fellow either. It was 70, 80 miles an hour all the way. It was still two and a half hours. And I'm thinking, Jesus walked this distance. And it appears, you know, when you read it, that they did it several times. And it had to take them days, not just a few hours or whatever. I everything was uphill. And, uh, I think it was uphill both ways. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> uh, you know, it's way. The uh, guys talk about the fact, you know, I, I think for myself, I don't know how you guys look at it, but we think of Jesus and Joseph as being carpenters. And being a carpenter was different than how we see it today. Uh, <coughs> because they worked on housing or whatever, and they probably just work on furniture, like I'm thinking, you know, putting up walls someplace. Building a wall and putting up sheep or whatever. Everything was built with stone. So you had to be almost a, uh, you had to be a, a stone mason. You know what? I worked with stone as well. So they did, this, they did a lot of it. You had to really be physical to be living in those times. No power nailers or no. No, no. In fact, if you go, if you're in Zipporah, you can see the. Uh, they're still uncovering parts of it, but there's uh, these beautiful mosaics. They're there, and you can see the 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 road that they, that was there, and it's it's stone, you know, and it's like quote unquote paved, but, um, but it is uh, it's rutted from the the the, the uh, uh, wagons going through there. Yeah, it just wore the stone away. You know, it's just it's it's grooved and it's it's pretty amazing. So, I I'm sorry. go ahead. Maybe find out too how much influence other uh, cultures had. Um, what the, even what the Crusades had in that over that over those areas and whatnot. How much of it was they just built over everything. So if some some other power came in. They want, they try to, in some ways, uh, keep some of the history uh, remembered. They built over everything. Yeah. It's not unusual if you came in as as a at that time frame, especially early early centuries. Uh, they would destroy a city and then they would build over it. And they have today what they call tells. 
and tells her just like mountains or molehills or whatever. You look at it and you go, oh. And if you dig down through there, you'll see levels of civilization uh, that are there. And so as you strip it away, you can get down further and further and further. Uh, and you see, uh, you know, things that might date back, pre, uh, obviously pre-Roman, pre-Greek, uh, back into uh, the, the time of the Israeli, Israel, Israelites um, and, uh, you know, some of the battles of the Assyrians and the, the uh, uh, Mesopotamian armies of uh, uh, Babylon and, and uh, the Medes and the Persians. I mean, all that stuff is intermixed. It's, uh, it's probably one of the most unique places that I've been from a civilization standpoint. So you would enjoy going. I think I think James would uh, would uh, put his uh, stamp of approval on it. So uh, anyhow, I just thought it'd be nice for someone to share who's just been there uh, to get a, a chance to tell you a little bit about what's going on. And if you get a chance to go, it would be a, a great opportunity. I think it would be, in some ways, it would open your eyes to your the study of Scripture. I came away, one of the things I came away with is the fact that their leg muscles must have been amazing. <laughs> I mean, it was just crazy. Um, did you walk from uh, Gethsemane up to the top of, I mean, I, I thought I was going to die. I really did. I mean, that was, wor- that was probably one of the worst, uh, just going from uh, Gethsemane to the top of the Mount of Olives. It was so steep, it was crazy. And, and we were walking on a road. I can, imagine, can you imagine what it would have been like to not have a road there, just to walk on a path or whatever? I was like, I was like in that one, it was, they did not switch back. It was straight on. Yeah. So it's like, you really had to like, if oh. I slip, I'm <laughs> If I slipped, man, I'd have been rolling downhill. I'd have been, I'd have been a rolling stone, man. It was... Did they, uh, did they show you a path that Jesus would have dragged his cross? Uh, actually, oh, we, yeah. uh, we went, we were on the um, Vida Rosa. Vida Rosa and, um, but that's probably and they had the stations along there that uh, said that this was an area. Yeah, but even that, and probably the uh, street itself was about as wide as this one, mm-hmm. but it had shops on either side, and um, it was crowded, and because the, the walkway that Jesus might have walked was probably only about this wide and it was probably according to the scriptures and the people were watching it and then dragged across uh, been tough. Through, those, through those streets was, was not an easy thing and I, I, I thought about that too how uh, physically strong was Jesus as well because even after the beating right yeah. All the way. Both ways. All right. Hey, yeah. I found something. Uh, this is Deuteronomy uh, chapter 18, verse 10. Yeah. I'm going to do verse 9 because it sets it up. When you come into the land that the Lord your God has given you, don't learn to do the terrible things that people of the other nations do there too. Don't sacrifice your sons or daughters in the fires on your altars. Yeah. Don't learn to do what will happen in the future by 
talking to a fortune teller. So it goes on, you know, they, they, they don't want you to learn the customs of wizardry and casting spells and all that kind of stuff that the native people know. So I guess the sacrifice of the sons and daughters was, was part of their tradition. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Yep. The joy of river was something different, too, because you read about that and you think it's a, a big deal, you know, it's a big river coming in. And spots there with that were riding along, and this was supposed to be the joy of river. Scream about this one. But then you get to, um, I can't remember exactly what it was, but we were supposed to be in an area where supposedly John the Baptist baptized Jesus. The string on the main wire from here to that window, then they had a rope down the center of it. Yep. If you crossed that, you were in Jordan yep. and could possibly be arrested. It's a. It, eight guys from our group decided to. Was that in the in the muddy the muddy part? Yeah, yeah, it was the southern part. Yeah, the northern part is. Uh, uh, well, it's it's interesting being there. It's certainly, uh, you know, you're getting the sediment that you're going to get down at the Dead Sea too. So you know, the Dead Sea is just you know, full of dirt and minerals and whatnot, mud. Yeah. All right. Well. If you get a chance to go, save up your shekels, and um, it would be an aw- awesome experience for each of you, I think, to go and, and give us a chance to hear what, some of your experiences when you get back. So let's, uh, let's t- have a word of prayer. We're going to dig into Judges chapter 12 today, what little bit of time we have, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about, um, um, yeah, about uh, people who are uh, uh, bullies, I guess be one way of putting it. So let's have, let's have a word of prayer. Father, thanks again for the opportunity to, uh, to study your word. Thank you for uh, giving us an opportunity to hear about uh, James' travel to the Holy Land. We pray that you would open our eyes to what you have for us today. Be with Mike. Keep him safe, Father. Help the doctors figure out what, how to deal with him and heal him. Be with uh, John. We pray for his continued recovery as well. And just ask again your blessing upon us as we study your word. Open our eyes for what you have for us today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So remember, last week we talked about Jephthah. And Jephthah had, uh, uh, he and his, his band of uh, merry men from, uh, uh, from Gilead uh, had uh, uh, beaten back the Ammonites. And... Uh, and everything looked like it was a pretty good deal, except for the fact we talked about and your choices of whether or not Jephthah actually kills his his daughter, or does she become uh, a, for all sake of trying to figure out what to call her, a virgin for life, uh, serving at the, the tabernacle, which was not necessarily uncommon, although it wasn't a normal thing. It did we do we did see evidence in scripture of women that did serve uh, at the tabernacle. Well, so. interesting in light of Rick's passage of Deuteronomy, plus the thing in Leviticus about how you could purchase your way out of an oath right. that you regret. It, it would seem like that, that Jephthah seems to have ignored both those things. Pretty much. Pretty much. Israelite, you known well, here's the thing. I'm not sure how educated he was. Remember. all that history. 
Yeah, and some of it was right and some of it was wrong, too. You remember, some of the stuff that he had to say was uh, inaccurate. As an example, he's, he's telling, and we don't know if he did that on purpose or if he did it because he just didn't know, he, he equates the Ammonite God as being actually the Moabite God. It's, it's a different God. So was he doing it to tweak Ammon, uh, the king of Ammon, and get him upset? Or was he just really uncertain about this? And so he made a mistake. We don't know. Uh, so there is some op- options that we can look at. And I, I again, I came down on the side of saying I think the daughter did not die. She was simply offered as a person who would serve at the tabernacle for the rest of her life and, and do so unmarried, which there's, there seems to be some indication of that. Which that it could be bad for him because it's the end of his line. Exactly. Yeah. Since it's his only child, it's the end of his line. And uh, so then we come up to chapter 12. And in chapter 12, we start off with the rest of the story. And this is kind of an interesting story because... Uh, it would appear, although scholars uh, argue about this, of course scholars argue about everything. If you have two scholars, you have at least three opinions, as you know. Um, and so uh, what we have here is apparently it would appear that he sent out a, a, a plea to have other people come and join him in his fight against the, uh, the Ammonites. And... Uh, Ephraim, the tribe of Ephraim, did not, but afterwards decided that they should share in the bounty. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, at least for a while. We're going to dig through at least the first seven verses of chapter 12. So let's start off with Danny, your table, Dan, your table, Gary, your table, uh, and we'll probably get over to Tom's table, maybe. So uh, we'll deal with this... And uh, we'll go through the first seven verses of, Ju- of Judges chapter 12. All right. Uh, the men of Ephraim called out their forces, crossed over to Zaphon, and said to Jephthah, Why did you go fight the Ammonites without calling us to go with you? We are going to burn down your house over your head. Jephthah answered, I and my people were engaged in a great struggle with the Ammonites, and although I called you, I called, you didn't save me out of their hands. When I saw that you wouldn't help, I took my life in my hands and crossed over to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gave me the victory over them. Now why have you come up today to fight me? Jonathan then called together the men of Gilead and fought against Ephraim. Gilead struck them down because the Ephraimites had said, you Gilads are renegades from the Ephraims in Manasseh. <laughs> Jephthah captured the shallow crossings of the Jordan River, and whenever a fugitive from Ephraim tried to go back across, the men of Gilead would challenge him. Are you a member of the tribe of Ephraim? They would ask. The man said, No, I'm not. Jordan, and there fell at that time of the Ephraimites 
40 and 2,000. And Jephthah judged Israel six years. And Jephthah in the game died and was buried among the children. Okay. All right. We'll pick it up. We'll stop there. So we've got this issue where, uh, you know, Ephraim is upset. Now, is this, the, is, is this a, an odd situation with Ephraim, or are they, do they tend to have this problem on a regular basis? You mean that they don't come up and fight? Yeah, and, that they, and, they, and they get their feelings hurt easily. Okay, let's go back and think back a couple of judges ago, and there was a guy by the name of Gideon. Remember Gideon? And after the fight that Gideon had, what happens? Ephraim's upset. Well, why, why didn't you ask us to come? Well, no, you know, wait a second. That's not exactly the way it happened. The same thing happens here. It would appear that Ephraim... Remember, here, Ammon is on this... This is... This is uh, the, the Jordan River, Dead Sea, Sea of Galilee. Over here is Ammon, right? They're wanting to take over the area of, um, of what used to be the Amorites. The Amorites uh, were in this area here. There were two rivers that they kind of were between. And uh, originally, and for 300 years, uh, uh, Israel had, had conquered this area 300 years ago and, uh, and, and beat the Amorites the Ammonites had really no much, not much of a claim, especially not after 300 years. And so they decided they want to come across. And you've got Gilead. This whole area here is known as kind of Gilead. There are two and a half tribes here. There's Reuben, Gad, and part of the tribe of Manasseh. The other tribe of Manasseh is on the other side, the rest of it, and Ephraim. By the way, what's the difference between uh, Manasseh and Ephraim? Any connections? They're, um, they're both from Joseph. Joseph. It, it, actually, Joseph should be a tribe, but, there is, but they split the tribe. And Ephraim was one of his sons. Manasseh was the other son. And so they have two tribes now that are Joseph's tribe, which is kind of interesting. We don't have to go into that too much. Other than the fact that during the time of the travels, when they got to this side of the Jordan, they go, oh, this is really nice and grassy, and there's lots of grazing area and we have lots of flocks and herds so we want to stay here and and uh, Joshua said okay so half the tribe of Manasseh stays here so what's Ephraim say he says you're not even truly a tribe of Manasseh you're you're a half breed you're 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 not even real really a Manassehite you're, you're not even an Ephraim you're not you're not really part of Joseph and oh by the way we, you owe us bounty. You owe us treasure. You owe us some of the stuff that you that you won from the Ammonites. Because you didn't ask us to come and fight. Does that sound vaguely familiar to anybody else? Do you, do you ever run into that? People that decide that it ought to be up to you. That you owe them stuff for something you never even did? They just assume that you should. They should be able to get. Ever had that happen? Like you know, you're you're working. Maybe it was in school, and you got a project, and someone comes up to you and say, "Hey, listen, I really need your help because I didn't get a chance to do it. So can I join you? Can, I, I, I want to be part of your grade. They didn't do any work. Maybe they were assigned to you, and they just didn't do it. Didn't they just frost you, your flakes? 
used to be, I, I had a hard time working with people that never wanted to do any work, but they wanted the reward for the work. Depends on if it was a cute girl or not. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You know she's just using you. That's okay. You don't mind being abused, huh? Alright. So that's what Ephraim's doing here. And Ephraim crosses the Jordan. And Jephthah goes, well, first of all, it's kind of interesting what they're doing. They're saying to Jephthah, they kind of attack him and they say, Look, he's the he's the hero. He's the hero of the day. And what do they say? We're going to burn down your house. Seriously? You don't don't think the rest, you don't think Gilead is going to be just slightly perturbed with them? Apparently not. You think it's okay to burn down the the hero's house, right? Okay, so, you know, he he says, you didn't respond to my call to arms. And he says, says, oh, by the way, I'm a man of contention. You really want to mess with me? I've been fighting most of my life. I got no problem taking up arms against my brother. <laughs> you ever noticed how often it is that persecution doesn't always come from outside? Sometimes persecution comes from inside the family. It was, I know it was, used to be true in my, my mom's side of the family. They, they were Polish, and, and I just say this about Polish people. I love them to death. I'm part Polish. But they are a contentious bunch of Doesn't people. I would be more compassionate about my, about my background. Oh, well, you know, it, now I will say this. 1638, I'm really appreciative of the Polacks. 1638 is when September 11th, 1638 the Polish army beat back 300,000 Muslim army from the, 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 from the Ottoman Empire that were attacking the gates of, of, uh, of uh, Vienna. It's what saved Western Europe from Islam in 1638. By the way, September 11th seemed vaguely familiar with any of you guys? Yeah, just an attempt at attacking the next gates of Vienna. Just saying. Anyhow, where are we going with this? Oh, yeah, uh, fighting at Polacks. My my family, my family used to used to fight against each. There was always a, a a a struggle going on between the, the, the brothers and sisters. There was always animosity between them until somebody from the outside picked on one of the brothers or sisters. And then the family was unified. And they would attack the outsider until such time that that had passed and they would go back to feuding with each other. And I'll give you a, an example. Two generations ago, my grandmother... And her bro- one of her brothers were at odds for a long, long time. But during Prohibition, he was attacked and stabbed by one of the Purple Gang. And she hid him in her attic. And when the Purple Gang came to her house looking for her brother, she beat them off with a broom. <laughs> and as soon as they were gone, they were at it again, you know. <laughs> So, so it's not unusual for family to attack, you know, and outside, and, and it's true in churches, you know. By the way, I'll just say this. 
Paul tells us that all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So there are two, two possible takeaways from that for us Americans. Either A, we're not truly godly and we're not living for Christ because we're not suffering persecution, or the persecution that we're suffering at times is not from the outside, but perhaps from the inside. If you remember, one of the problems that Paul Halfin had was what? The Judaizers causing all kinds of problems with him. You know, well, you're not teaching, you're not teaching the Bible the right way. You even, must not even know. Within the church in Corinth, they were fighting with each other about yeah. what to eat and what to wear and how long hair is going to be. And... Yeah. So I think at times persecution comes from trying to do what's right, and there are people that, are, that attack you from, sometimes from the inside, some from, sometimes from the outside. So, you know, what you're saying is very valid in the New Testament. Jesus, opts, opts, you know, his, those who opposed him, was not the Romans. No, and really not even here was a problem. Yep. It was, it was from within. Yep. Pharisees, Pharisees and Sadducees. And the priestly clan. Not all of them. Nope, not all of them. It was so bad that even those who are Pharisees and Sadducees and who sided with Jesus kept their mouth shut. Yeah. And it's no different for Paul. It's no different for us today. It's no different for us today. I, I've... Versa. With Jesus, with Paul, for us today, there's a lot of people who don't know the Bible, and they're Christians, and very active and powerful in churches. Yep. Some of them know the Bible, some of them don't. But the people that don't teach a lot of things that are Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So it, it behooves us to do what? To disciple people, to help them to understand what the Bible truly says and doesn't say. All right, so Jephthah and the Gideonites fight against the Ephraimites. And what happens? There is a huge slaughter. In fact, it's so bad. It's, as we get to the end of Judges, we're going to find that there's another, another problem with another tribe. And that tribe is almost wiped out. It's the tribe of Dan. And Ephraim is a much bigger tribe than Dan because they lose 40, 42,000 people. If, if, if Scripture is correct and there isn't a mistake, 42,000 people, men die, soldiers die as a result of, of crossing the Jordan and fighting with their brothers on the other side. And uh, it, it doesn't wipe out Ephraim, but, it, it, but that same number almost wipes out the tribe of Dan. So it's it's a lot. It it's they're busy fighting. They're busy complaining. They're busy upset, and uh, and so they try to get back across. And what happens? How how do you tell an Ephraimite from a Gileadite? <laughs> they can't pronounce a word the same way. It, it there there are a lot of scholars that have a lot of different thoughts on this. Some of them say that it had to do with. Um, uh, the people around them on one side of the Jordan uh, could pronounce THs and on the other side could not or SHs as we have in scripture here we, and so we have Shibboleth and Sibboleth and some people if you know if you've ever had a problem if you've ever done a foreign language and had 
weird sounds that you just have. I can't roll an R to save my life. I can't roll an R. You know, so if, I, if I'm speaking a, a, a Spanish or a, a Italian or something like that, and I have to, I can flip an arm just a little bit, but I can't roll it. I can't give it that, 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 you know, that R sound. I can't do that. I, my, so it, these tribes, even though they all came from the same people, were already developing dialects? Apparently. Now remember, this is 300 years from the time they crossed the Jordan. Yeah. Same thing happened here with the Civil War. Uh huh. Same people, same kind yeah. of thing. And obviously, the Southerners had their own dialect compared to the Northerners. So Y'all don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> True. Yeah. You know, when when I was when I was in school in South Carolina, uh, you could tell. I I can't do it anymore, but I could tell the difference between states in the South. I could tell the difference between a, a Georgia. Southern accent and an Alabama Southern accent and a South Carolina or North Carolina or Tennessee. In fact, I had a good friend of mine who was a, in business, uh, in a similar business as my family, and he could do that. He was t- from Tennessee, and he could do that Tennessee Southern gentleman and then do the Southern gentle, Southern farmer kind of, you know, as well down from Tennessee. He used to just crack me up. I'd be going, Wills, do it again. Do it again. I want to hear it. It sounded like, you know, it sounded like Foghorn Leghorn, you know, almost, if, if, for those of you who are old enough to remember him. So. That, that was probably like your Gettysburg, you know, your Gettysburg was half battle. Could very well be. That's, that's an that's interesting I mean, way of putting it. I mean, our history book says it's a half a million. That, that died. Yeah. This story reminds me of in the news a couple of years ago when ISIS had their caliphate at the biggest. Yeah. They would stop people along the road and question them to determine if they were Shiite. If they were, they shot them in the head or in the spot and Yeah. Why? Because it, they, disagreed, the, they disagreed yeah. theologically. Two, two major portions of, of Islam. Yeah. yeah. Still going on today. So, you know, sometimes it's kind of interesting when, when people are wrong and refuse to accept logical reasoning, which is what Jephthah tried to give them, and they refuse to confess their faults, they often turn to violence in order to protect their reputation. You ever notice that? You just get mad and you go on the offensive instead of admitting you're wrong. James 4 talks about that. You know, my, my, my favorite book to hate, as you know. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your own desires of battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have it what you want. And you quarrel and fight, and you do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you don't receive because, well, after all, you ask with wrong motives. Uh, you may spend what you have to get your own pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is a hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Hmm. So, or do you not know that, that think that Scripture says without reason that the spirit uh, that he caused to live in us envies, uh, in us envies in- intensely? But he gives us more grace, which is what the scripture says, that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. So therefore, 
You ought to submit yourself to God and resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Too often we resist God and submit ourselves to the devil. I'm just saying it seems kind of strange that we do that. But I'm as guilty of it as the next guy. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before God and he will lift you up. I love it in the King James. It says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. I just, you ever notice this? That, why is it that I don't want to bow to God? I'll bow to other things, but with God I want to get feisty. As though I can better him, as though I can stand up, as though I can resist him. Okay, I know I'm the only one that does that. (laughs) We're here for you. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment in it. Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> that hurts. Uh, there's only one lawgiver and judge and one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor or even judge your brother or sister, as the case may be? All right. So Ammon is defeated. What are some of the positives? Positives are... Jephthah is accepted by this time, even though he's been cast out by his tribe, even though he's an illegitimate child, even, even though he's gathered the social outcasts and lived the life of being a bandit and being a, uh, just a bad ne'er-do-well. God still ends up saying, we're going to bless you. And here's the thing. Ephraim says, you live on the wrong side of the Jordan. You're on the wrong side of the tracks. You're not worth anything. And the person who's not worth anything ends up winning the battle, which is another strange thing anyhow. In the end, though, you have a problem with uh, the tongue getting in the way. Jephthah, he is for himself first, Gilead second, Israel for third, a distant third, but he's always about getting himself in the best place. Because he's selfish. Isn't it interesting that often we get the, as people, we get the leaders we deserve? We get the leaders we deserve. It's not fair. Yeah, I know it's not fair. Why is it that God always does that? I don't understand. Why does he give us, and when he doesn't, he chooses to give us grace. Think about what this exposes in the character of Ephraimites and what's going to happen several generations down the road when Ephraim says to Solomon's son, eh, I don't think so. We're not going to put up with you. Regardless of what an idiot he is, we all know this. It's all about taxes. But taxes have always been a problem. Caused the, the revolt in Israel, caused a revolt here in America, with the British over taxes, right? Taxation without representation. Just saying taxes. If we just got rid of taxes, we wouldn't have a problem in America, right? Or maybe tariffs. Or maybe something else. I don't know. All right. So 
Ephraim is, is portrayed as an arrogant and independent tribe. It's easily offended and therefore it, it wants to have significant roles and be, it's the peacock, you know, of, of, the, of Israel. It wants to prove it's better than anybody else as a tribe. And eventually becomes, in fact, in the, after the separation of the ten tribes, the northern tribes versus the southern tribes, often in prophecy, what is Israel known as? Yeah, Ephraim. Yeah, they're the leader of the of the ten tribes. They're the ones that caused the problems. Actually, he was from Benjamin. But Ephraim becomes the major problem in in those those ten tribes. It, it leads the way. It's been it, it's always it's always got a problem with pride, apparently. Now, I know none of us have that problem either. Isn't it interesting that what God says is the proper, the proper way of looking at leadership is that you are to promote shalom among your, those that you lead. And we're not just talking, again, remember, shalom is more than just simply the absence of strife. What is shalom? Peace of heart. Which involves prosperity, a sense of well-being, a sense of grace and mercy that's provided for others as well. Safe haven. Safe haven. All those things are wrapped up in this word shalom. And we tend to translate the problem with, it, with English is that we don't have a good word for that. Our closest word is peace, which simply means the absence of strife. But it's more than that. This is what God wants to give us. Economic, physical, spiritual peace. That's what he, that's what he offers Israel when they enter the promised land. And as a leader, that should be how we, as leaders, that's what we're, we're supposed to do. We're supposed to offer peace, promote peace among those who are in our charge. And often we're only interested in our own shalom, our own prosperity, our own funds. It's the leader who, you know, goes into office with no money and comes out with a billion bucks afterwards. You go, how did he do that on a salary of 200000 I don't know. He invested. He invested well. <laughs> All right, so First what's... This guy, Jeff, though, I have to cut him a little slack because... Because uh, he's... Uh, in his situation, he was treated so poorly by his family, his cool. tribe, and everybody who's an outcast, and okay. now he has the chance to be the number one dude. I mean, he's obviously got a chip on his shoulder, but mm-hmm. for good reason. So does that make it right? No, but <laughs> typical. You know, isn't it interesting how we all root for the, you know, the underdog, and and we also, you know, we also love to see, you know, what's the most popular movie out there? Kind of movie, Revenge, Revenge movie. Yeah, where you know, you we get someone gets their own man. Oh yeah, that's it, man. And hey, we want to go see those. <laughs> The reckoning, that's right, man, that's right. 
I don't know if I'm so, reading this wrong. It's, it's, it's weird. What's that? Where it says that they, uh, you know, they killed them all because they couldn't pronounce that word. Yeah. And then it says forty-two thousand were killed. Did they ask forty-two thousand people how to say yeah. that? You would have thought somebody could have got it right. No. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a few, but you know, it, think about if if you can't say a particular or form, you know, like if I had to roll an R and that proved whether or not I was from, you know, south of the Rio Grande, forget it, man. I'd be dead in the water. You just you go ahead and stab me now. I can't say it. Couldn't say it. Save my life. And, and there are times that certain words, you know, when I was learning French back in high school, I had a hard time with certain f- ways of saying things because it wasn't, it was foreign to my ear. Apparently, shibboleth, sh, the S-H, Sound is foreign to it was foreign to the Ephraimites' ability to speak. It wasn't the way they spoke. If you never used that sound, you you know it's like you ever done this where you you tried to remember a, a series of words and um, or or during World War during World War Two. Remember what they would ask? Sometimes they would they would ask the uh, uh, the Japanese. What what you know? Can you say Joe DiMaggio or something like that? Remember some of the, the movies where maybe none of you remember those movies. I'm sorry. Vaguely. Yeah, there, there are certain words that that, that another society could. That that could be it. But there are times when there are things that we just can't say and easily say, and that's apparently what was was true with Ephraim. Perhaps, as you said, it was a a, a different dialect. Um, it was maybe the culture, the, 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 the countries around them had different ways of saying things, perhaps. And uh, the, the Canaanite influence in various parts of, the world, of the, that area were part of the issue. I don't know. We're not told. By the way, K- K- yes, go ahead. <laughs> that's good yeah there there is a uh, uh, some of you know that I, I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, West Wing and uh, the, the, the movie West or the series the TV series and uh, during the second season uh, the president of the United States there has to decide whether or not to send back uh, some refugees from China that have escaped, and they're claiming religious persecution. And so he brings one of the leaders in to, to speak with him, and he's telling him that he's, he's telling his, his people that he's, he says, well, how are you going to know whether or not they're believers or not? He says, oh, I'm going to ask them if they can say shibboleth. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And, and so uh, it, it goes, what he's basically, what what. If you look up the term shibboleth in a dictionary, it, it kind of means it's an indication of whether or not you understand something or not, whether or not your a religious perspective is, is understood or not. And so in this particular case, it was interesting because you don't often hear uh, stories that, especially stories that are secular stories that pronounce and talk about God and the gospel and that, but the, this this Chinese man says, "Well, you know, we go to church and we sing hymns and and uh, we do this and that." And and uh, Bartlett asks him, the president asks him, "Can you name the the uh, 
uh, the uh, disciples. And he goes, he starts naming. He says, it's okay if you can't name them all because I'm not sure even I could. Well, he ends up naming all. He says, you know, he finally looks at the president. He says, Mr. President, what you really are trying to find out is if we can say Shibboleth or not. And he says, we believe that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, that he died and rose. And I'm going, holy smokes, he's going through the gospel, you know, on a secular team. And he goes, and the president looks at his staff and goes, he got it. They're in. We'll figure it out some way. But, you know, so the shibboleth idea is something that goes, is, is a strong indicator of whether or not we truly understand something and whether we stand for something or not. So, uh, let's see if I can give you any quick comments here as we kind of close this out, this first seven verses. Violence is often the way that a spiritually flawed character compensates for his or her sense of inferiority. Contentious people produce contention. Just saying. It doesn't necessarily mean war. It can be jealousy, envy, any sort of evil, according to James 3. Again, another one of my favorite passages in James. So it is with petty and unimportant and unnecessary fights that consume many of our churches. We, we tend to fight over really dumb things. You know, I've told you about the church that I knew out in St. Louis that, that split over whether you should say hallelujah or alleluia. Split. Two different churches today. Another church split over the color of the carpet. I was personally on staff at a church where we voted on whether or not we should carpet the fellowship hall, which was in the basement and it was tiled. Pastor wanted it. And so I didn't really care one way or another. We had the vote. Carpet won by 51%. I said, are you still going to do it? He said, absolutely. We we won. <laughs> Thinking, well, yeah, but 49% of your people are going to be unhappy with you. you know? Carpet half of it? Carpet the whole thing. 51%. Yeah, 51%. Yeah, the carpet. That's rough. But, you know, and the thing that they were concerned about was the spills, you know, the big dinners and that and sure enough one of the first dinners there was this huge big spill that could never get out big old stain in the middle of the carpet yeah kind of yeah which is just you know but anyhow so we we end up fighting over dumb things sometimes but we still do it because we we think that our it's really more important for us all right i'm going to stop there because we're going to get into chapter uh or verse eight and verse eight is going to be a whole nother situation so As we go through this, remember, God calls us to live in harmony. God does not call us to live in fighting with each other, which probably means a pox on both of our houses at times. So let's let's ask God to close out our day. Father, thank you again for the opportunity to study your word. Thank you for giving us an opportunity to talk a little bit about uh, about Israel and about uh, the Holy Land and what it means to us when we've gone there and what we've seen, how it's, it helps to bring the Bible alive for many of us. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to study Jephthah. We see both the good and bad in this man. He obviously saved uh, Gilead, um, but in the meantime, 
uh, he was not able to use his words to uh, to save the fight between him and Ephraim, perhaps because Ephraim was just not willing to listen. And so often we're not willing to listen either. So we pray today that you would help us, Father, to be swift to hear, slow to speak, and if necessary, slow to act. We thank you, Father, that you are a God who is uh, slow to 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 act, your desire for all of us to repent and come to you regardless of our situation. So we pray that you'd help us, Father, this day to, to be thankful for the fact that you are slow to anger. We thank you again for giving us this opportunity to study your word, guide and direct us now, and keep us safe as we go from this place. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, guys.